Let's move into our sermon series. We're in the middle of our series, The Good and Beautiful Design, Transformation from Dysfunction to Design, and it's God's plan. And God's plan in the third part of our triad there, uh, the good and beautiful God, the good and beautiful life, now we're in the good and beautiful community. Following the Spirit, extending grace, demonstrating love. Would you pray with me right now? And I'd ask you to say this prayer. You don't have to say it out loud, but if you just say a prayer, God, if there's anything you want me to hear, I'm willing to listen. Just give that prayer to God. God, if there's anything you want me to hear, I'm willing to listen. And oh God, may you be glorified. May everyone hearing this message be edified and may Satan be horrified in Jesus' name. Amen. Go ahead and ask me, what's the big idea? If you're visiting with us today, I'm a guy that likes to have conversations when I preach. And so every once in a while, I'll say, repeat after me. I haven't asked you to do that for a while. But since you're asking what the big idea is, here it is. The big idea today is we are a Christ-centered community. Everybody say Christ-centered. We're a Christ-centered community. So the tagline is, we must love those we disagree with. And again, I did not put this sermon here on purpose. It it had nothing to do with this as we were putting the whole sermon series together. It actually was probably going to be two weeks ago, but I I divided them all out singularly so I could focus on one each time. And this one happens to fall on the week of the election. We must love those that we disagree with. And the message isn't focused on political things. It's really focused on the church. And inside the church, we don't always agree on every issue. We just don't. We're like siblings, and, and we argue. Uh, how many of you just admit, make me feel better as your pastor, you get around the family table, and after a while, it turns into an argument, and everybody's saying, well, I think, well, anybody else have a family that likes to talk about what they think? Oh, good, it's not just mine. Everybody has an opinion. My pastor used to tell the church, if you want to know, I've got an opinion about everything. Just ask me. If you don't want to know, don't ask. <laughs> we all have opinions on things. And this morning, I want to balance the importance of issues that you've got to take a stand on. You've got to know what you believe. But at the same time, if somebody doesn't agree with you, we still must love. And that's, that's a lot harder than it. It comes across easy from the pulpit. But it's a hard thing to do in action. The key verse, the main verse for today is 1 Corinthians 1.10. I appeal to you, and I love it when our author puts words like this. He's basically saying, now listen, please, please, brothers and sisters, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree with one another in what you say, and that there will be no divisions among you but that you be perfectly united in mind and thought. Yeah, right. Don't you want to say that at the end? Sometimes when you read the Bible, are you honest enough to say, yeah, right. But the author said, please, listen to me, earnestly, please, brothers and sisters, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, agree with one another in what you say, and there be no divisions I want to break that down for us today and, and, and have an understanding that we don't always agree, but we can agree when we disagree. Do you realize you can do that? Do you realize that even when you don't agree, we can agree with one another? So this morning, I want to show you where we can agree and the things that we probably must agree on, and then there are things that we just won't agree on. Oh, I'm looking forward to preaching 
Revelations. That's next on our Gospel Project series. We've preached through the Bible in four years from Genesis all the way to Revelation. Now it's time to go to Revelation. Perfect time after 2020, right? We feel like it's apocalypse, the end of the world. Might as well talk about Revelation. I can't wait to start preaching Revelation because I'm sure I'm going to look out there and, and there's going to be people over there going, no, no, I don't know what he's saying. And the people over there are going to be like, no, what, what is he? That's not what I, Jack Van Impey said it was. This. And there's going to be people that, and you know what? It's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. We're all not going to agree on every issue about what is allegory in Revelation, what is literal in Revelation. We're just not all going to agree, but we can agree that we're okay, right? We can be like-minded and have different thoughts. So that's the tone of this message. It's not about politics this morning. And every message in this series, we talk about the false narratives, the false narratives we got to put away. Here's the false narrative for today. If we disagree, we must divide. This is exactly what the author was talking about in 1 Corinthians. No, don't. No, bro, please, brothers and sisters, in the name of Jesus Christ, agree. And stay united. Even if you don't agree, agree in one mind. So the false narrative, if I disagree, I must divide. Boy, that's the tone of our culture today. Sometimes the church has to just lift itself and be out of the cultural norm. And the cultural norm today is we blitzkrieg everything that dis- we disagree with. Social media has made it so that we just can firebomb everybody that disagrees with us. I'll show them. And that's crept into the church. If you want to hear your pastor's take on how the culture has drifted into the church instead of how the church has remained free from the culture, the culture has drifted into the church We watch leaders who are crass and argumentative and mean, and we start to clap and applaud that. And then all of a sudden, we start thinking it's okay in the church to be crass and mean and disagreeable and put down people and say harsh. No, the tone out there is, it's bad. It's not meant to creep into the church. We rise above that. We don't celebrate that division The narrative of today is if we disagree, we must divide. And oh, are we divided. The church has to be different. See, behind this narrative, I'm going to tell you, in the church, out there, I'm not sure what it is. It's just sometimes visceral and mean. But in the church, when we disagree, we think we have to divide and separate. I can't get along with them. What's behind that? Behind that, I believe, is this one word. Fear. It's fear. I wrote down a couple of thoughts on that. It's, it's fear that not separating from somebody means that I'm soft. We're afraid that if, if we have a disagreement and I let you get away with that disagreement and I don't firebomb you, that people are going to see me as soft. That's what the world's like, not what the church should be like. Fear. It's fear that not separating means that I'm in agreement with you. See, that's a big problem in the church. It's always been a big problem in the church. We look out at the world and we want to make sure that we, we say it, how disagreed we are with the world. Because if we don't say it so clearly, people might think that I'm with that thought. That's happened to me recently. That's happened to me. That's fear. You know, all this comes back to another word. I, I vacillated between two words, really. It's either fear or pride. Fear or pride. And they're both connected. Fear is you're afraid because you're pride. You're afraid that you'll be seen as soft. You'll, you're afraid that if you don't really come down on this thought or this person or this thing, that you'll be seen as soft. And then maybe you agree with them. Maybe you're a liberal crazy person. Oh, and then, oh. So we're afraid. And fear goes to pride. 
So we really blitzkrieg. We're really out there strong because we don't want anybody to think we're soft. We don't want anybody to think that we agree with that. I grew up in a culture that believed in secondary separation. They preached it from the pulpit. In other words, Stan, Stan, if you believed one thing and I disagreed with that, I have to separate from you. I can't be your friend. I, I must declare you whatever. They probably shouldn't say enemy because they know that's not scriptural. But somehow you're a bad person, Stan. But, Jeff, if you're friends with Stan, then I have to separate from you too. That's secondary separation. I separate from Stan because he, well, he's a screwball. But if Jeff agrees with him, Jeff, I'm sorry, I can't be friends with you because you're friends with him. It's called secondary separation. And boy, I tell you, my church got into that on Quaaludes. It was crazy. They went to third dairy, fourth dairy. If you like somebody who likes somebody who likes somebody or knew somebody or mentioned somebody. And by the way, weekly, we heard who the people were we weren't supposed to agree with from stage. Every week they declared somebody wrong. I remember it was Billy Graham. I was a teenager. And I remember the preacher getting up and saying, we cannot Go along with Billy Graham. And the, the finger waggling came out. Oh, not Billy Graham, because Billy Graham does these crusades. <gasps> and the Catholics come. No Billy Graham. And I sat there going, really? Billy, we're against Billy Graham? And then came, and then this people like Billy Graham. So don't be with them. And then those people like those people who like Billy Graham. They don't like Billy Graham, but they like the people who like Billy Graham. Nope. And I'm telling you, week after week, it was about who we shouldn't like, who you couldn't like because they might like, or who they like. And it was all fear. Fear that I would be seen as soft. Fear that I would be seen as an agreement. And first dairy, second dairy, third dairy, fourth, separation, separate. And I'm thinking to myself, when does it end? We're going to all be separated from everybody. And I sat there as a teenager going, my mom and dad were saved out of the ministry of a Billy Graham. So let it be said today, God rest his soul, I'm for Billy Graham. I'm for a man who preached the gospel. And he would join hands with people that normally would, you and I would never have an option to hold hands with, but he held hands with them in order to declare the gospel. I can be with that. So we are afraid. What's the true narrative? The true narrative is Christ followers must remain unified. We must remain unified. That's what Paul said. That's what Corinthians is teaching us. Agree. If you have to, agree to disagree. But agree that we're brothers and sisters and we're in this forever. By the way, heaven's going to be a long time. I hope you know that there's going to be people there. I just, I just kind of want to be there on the steps of heaven when Billy gets to the gate. And all those pastors were there declaring war on Billy Graham. And they got to spend eternity together. Thank goodness we're all going to be <laughs> regenerated and in a, in a holy state because there's going to be some apologies. They're gonna, we're all going to be in heaven together. If you put your faith in Jesus Christ, ask him to save you of your sin, you're going to be in heaven with a lot of people you might be surprised about. There's going to be people you say, how did you get in? There's going to be a lot of people saying, how did you get in? There's going to be people checking my ID twice probably. We're all going to be probably a little shocked who's there. Jesus talks about this. I'll get there in a moment. So Christ followers must remain unified. Why? One God. Everybody say one God. There's only one true God, right? There's only one Jesus. Amen. Everybody say one Jesus. 
Everybody say one heaven. Hey, everybody, there's only going to be one. And there's not going to be little cities and villages where we can get together and separate. Some people say that Sunday morning is the most segregated time of the year, and they're talking about race and other things. And, and you know what? I do know this. In heaven, there won't be that kind of segregation. We're going to be one with one God, one Jesus, one heaven. And so many people get it wrong that you're going to get your own mansion, and we're going to live in different suburbs. That's just so wrong. My father goes to prepare a place for you. In my father's house, there are many rooms. The word mansions is a misinterpretation of that word rooms. In my father's house, there are many mansions. In my father's house, there are many rooms. We're all going to be in daddy's house. One daddy, one Jesus, one heaven. And we're there for a long time, people. I think God is waiting and holding back, and he's given us as much practice as we can because it's going to be a long time that we're together. And the further we're here without him bringing us together, the further we get divided. Oh, the black churches don't want to worship with the white churches. So we got to have black churches and white churches. We got to have have Hispanic churches. We got to have Filipino churches and Korean churches. And we got to, we're just going to show everybody how divided we are. I don't think there's going to be burrows in heaven. There's not going to be a Chinatown in heaven. Don't be sad. We'll still get the great food, but there's not going to be division. I'm just trying to wake you up. There's not going to be division. Christ followers must remain united. Who said that? Let's, let's look through it. Jesus said that. I pray they may be one. Everybody say one. Jesus said this. I pray they may be one. Let's look through the verses I put on the screen. Matthew. Oh, I got it. Matthew 28, 19. This is our one mission. I mean, we're, we're here as one people under God, but we are united in a mission. Here it is. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Everyone who gets saved is saved through one God, one Jesus, one baptism. Amen? It's one. And one mission to make disciples who make disciples who make disciples. Yeah, you got to go. You can't stay here and do that. So go. That's not the command. That is the no duh. Go. And then the mission is to make disciples. One people with one mission. And then Jesus goes on in another place. In John ten sixteen, he says this. I have other sheep that are not of the sheep pen. I must bring them also. They too will listen to my voice, and there shall be one flock and one shepherd. See, did you hear what Jesus did? I love the clarity. Jesus is saying, hey, people, there are others out there. They might not be in this sheep pen. Do you understand that? But we're one flock. Everybody say one flock. There's a lot of sheep pens out there, and I'm not going to bash that. You know, I hear it all the time, most segregated time. And, and you know what? I hope and pray that there is no division intended here at Oakwood. Wouldn't we welcome anybody? Korean, I don't care if they're north or south. Japanese, Okinawa, I don't care. Black, white, purple, we don't care, amen? I would hope that. I hate the fact that this is such a non-segregated area in town. It is. We are so white. Thank the Lord you clapped on rhythm today. We're just so white. It's okay, you can laugh about it. I've, I've served in inner city ministry for years, and I've learned that we can laugh. I learned that we can talk and find out why we're different and why we like things in different. I've, I've spent time with my brothers and sisters of other, other uh, tones. Remember, it's tones. We're all one race, but tones. Mel- what is it? Melanin. 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 
Melanin is what makes us darker or lighter. And we all have melanin. Some have more, some have less. But we're one race. God created one people. And he says, I have other sheep out there. It's not just you. So we might have a pen here at Oakwood. Think of this as a pen. We're one pen, but we're not all of God's people, amen? There's a diverse flock out there, and we're all part of one flock. One flock, amen? And then John 17, 20 through 21 says this. My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. See, Jesus is saying, I told you with the mission to go and baptize. Make disciples who make disciples who make disciples. He's praying for people who aren't even the disciples yet. He's praying for pre-Christians. You have somebody in your life that's a pre-Christian? Right? We call them unsaved or lost a lot of the time. Maybe you ought to see them as a pre-Christian and pray that way. Pray that they'll come to know Christ. They're just pre-Christian. Right? They're going to have an after story and it's going to be great. Jesus is saying, I'm praying for the ones who you're going to win to Christ. I'm praying for those. That all of them may be one. Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us so that the world may believe that you sent me. Again, here's the power in unity. Jesus says it's that kind of unity that will draw people to the church. It's that kind of unity and diversity that people will say, wow, those people... They get along, and they don't all agree, but they get along. That's powerful. That's powerful witness. So Jesus said it. False narrative is we we must divide if we disagree. The true narrative is we must remain united. Who said it? Jesus said it. I pray they may be one. Everybody say one. To follow that up, Paul said it. Many times Paul said it. Paul's narrative is we are one in Christ. Colossians 3.11. Here there is no Gentile or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. Amen and amen. Amen? Celebrate diversity. There is no hierarchy. Again, there's no burrows in heaven. We're all God's children, equal. And the unity should be blessed. I don't know who you are. Are you... Are you Gentile or Jew? Are you circumcised or uncircumcised? I don't want to ask that question. Some of you are barbarians. I got one in my house, and God saves barbarians. Amen? I'm a barbarian who got saved. Wonderful. I was a rebel from the beginning. I was doing drugs and getting drunk, selling drugs, and all of a sudden God says, I need you. That's what God does. He calls barbarians and Scythians. He calls Jews. He calls non-Jews. He calls slaves and free. And we've talked about the slave issue in Scripture. No issue there. No concern. The Bible is incredibly liberating when it talks about slavery. Way, way ahead of its time talking about we shall be free. Chains no more. The idea is always that slavery is something to be freed from. Slave to sin. Slave no longer. Amen? So there's a unity in all of this. In Galatians 3.28. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave or three, nor is there male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Over and over again, you hear this theme. We're all one. No gender issues. No no living socioeconomic issues. There's no racial issues. We're just, if you believe, if you're in Christ, in Christ, we are one. And we must remain unified even if we don't all agree. So let me get to that point. There's a great saying. This uh, saying has been out there. We we quote it all the time. We love this saying. In essentials, unity. In non-essentials, 
liberty. In all things, charity. And most people say that was by Augustine, and we don't really think it was. We think Augustine quoted it from Maldenius. Maldenius was before, and he said it before. So we don't know for sure who cares who said it. We all say it now. So go home and say, my pastor says, in essentials, unity. In non-essentials, liberty. In all things, charity. Let me break that down for you. We could boil it down to in essentials, unity. Beyond that, charity. Everybody say grace grace charity is love charity means love love is grace so we give grace and i need to get grace from you because we always we won't agree we won't get along we will have differences of opinions i mean i know that the best pizza in the world is gino's east in chicago that's by, by far hands down the best pizza in the world you cannot get a better pizza maybe at luminati's maybe but you know hey there's just no doubt. There's a bad, bad pizza place around the corner called Giordano's. You've probably been there because you're a tourist. You don't know better. God forgive you. You'll be, we'll all be in heaven someday, even if you're wrong. The best pizza in the world is Gino's East, deep dish. I like the pepperoni and cheese. Don't get extra cheese. You could choke and die. The cheese already is that thick. Don't get extra cheese. That's just wrong. My dad's favorite is the sausage and green pepper. And order the whole patty. If you order the whole patty, the whole pizza, the large, there's a patty this big of sausage. That's a good pizza. Best in the world. Now, some of y'all are sitting there going, been to Chicago. I don't like Gino's. He's wrong. It's Giordano's. I hate him. I'm leaving the church. <laughs> well, you giggle about that. But let's take pizza out of it and talk about election. Not the election, but I talk about election. I don't agree with our pastor. He's saying that God called people to be saved. I don't believe in that. I, 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 is he an Arminian or is he a Calvinist? Is he a Calvinist or is he an Arminian? I don't agree with that. I'm leaving the church. I don't like that kind of pizza. Do you see how it's not so funny? It, it's the same thing. Do we have to disagree and divide? We are going to agree on all things. It's okay. I'm okay if you don't like Gino's East Pizza. You're wrong, but I'm okay. I will agree to disagree with you on that and you know what if you don't agree with election the doctrine of election i'm okay with that honestly i've studied it i got my master's degree and i still don't fully understand it all and if i start understanding it all that god's pretty small i don't really want a small god if don jackson has it all figured out that's pretty small if Don Jackson says, I really think looking at scriptures and putting all the scriptures I see about this one topic, here's where I land on that. That's, that's where I land. And you land someplace else, I don't need to firebomb you. You don't need to firebomb me. Charity. You hear me? Everybody hearing this today? Grace. See, there's a principle. Don't, don't get me wrong today. When you leave, I hope you get this all right. There's a principle. It's not unimportant. The issues, I don't care whatever issue you want to plug in. It's not that it's not important. It's just that it's not important enough. Do you understand what that means? It's not important enough to lose you, Joe. It's not important. You can disagree with me. I'm, I'm okay with that. I love you more than I love a thought. The same for any of you. Is it okay to have it? It's not that it's not. I'm not saying don't have opinions and don't study the word and come to some conclusion. But don't let that be a division. See, here's the problem. Drawing the line between which is which. Isn't that the issue today? Is that what you're hoping I'm going to preach? I'm going to preach it as best I can. Let's do it. Because we have to. Somewhere there's got to be a line. 
I'm going to draw a line today. If you disagree with the line, I need grace. Will you give it to me? So let's talk through it. Determining what is essential. So pastor, if I need to figure this all out, what is essential? First thing, according to scripture, establish sound doctrine. Throughout the New Testament, you'll hear this is sound doctrine. Here's a sound teaching worthy of, of whenever you see that, highlight it. And I didn't, we're not going to read all those scriptures today, but I gave them to you on your notes. You should read through those things and you'll hear that what I'm telling you comes from scripture. Establish what is sound doctrine. And here at Oakwood, we believe, number one, God is holy. Amen. God is holy. And I'm not going to have you look these all up. It's going to be way too fast. Revelation says, Who will fear you, Lord, and bring glory to your name? For you alone are holy. All nations will come and worship before you. Your righteous acts have been revealed. God is holy. There's, we, we, we can't be unified if you do not believe that God is holy. That, that's, a, that's a deal breaker. That's a line. I believe that I'm a sinner. Romans 3.23. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. If we're going to argue that man is fine, perfect, saved on their way to heaven without any need of salvation, then there's a division there because I believe the Bible does say clearly God is holy and we are sinners. We're not holy. Therefore, there's an issue. I believe next that Jesus is the Son of God. John 14, 6. Jesus answered, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really knew me, you'd know the Father as well. From now on, you do know him because you've seen him. Jesus said out loud he was the Son of God. People today say he never said that. He did. John 14, 6, and 7. He said, if you've seen the Father, you've seen me. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. We are one. Jesus claimed to be the Son of God. He cannot be a righteous, good teacher if he lied. He claimed to be the Son of God. That's a line. There's a line there. God is holy. I'm a sinner. Jesus is God's Son, and Jesus lived a sinless life. 2 Corinthians 5, 21. God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, so that in him I might become the righteousness of God. I must draw a line there. Some people say, ah, I heard it on CNN several weeks ago. Don Lemon's talking to the other weird guy, and, and they're having this conversation about Jesus, and they're like, well, Jesus wasn't perfect, you know. I mean, of course he sinned. I'm like, I'm in my house going, cast down the devil. You know, you know that's a dividing line there. I, I, there's a line, scriptural line. Jesus is God's son, and he lived a sinless life. If he didn't live a sinless life, I've got no hope. Because we all know I failed and sinned. Jesus died for me, the perfect one. 1 Peter 3.10, for Christ also suffered for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. He was put to death in the body, but made alive in the spirit. We have a Savior who is perfect, the spotless Lamb of God, and he died as a sacrifice for you and me. That's a line. The next one is, he's alive and seated with God, Romans 8.34. Who then is the one who condemns no one? Christ Jesus who died more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is interceding for us. We have a risen Savior. That's a line. Oh, he died, he's dead, he was a good martyr, good teacher. No, no, no. Listen. He died, was buried, and he rose again. All of those are important to defeating sin and death once and for all. There's a line there. Salvation is Christ alone, through faith alone, by grace alone, I ran out of room on that line, but say alone. Everybody say alone. It's salvation is Christ alone through faith alone by grace alone. Amen? If you don't believe it, John 1.12 says, Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become the children of God. For it is by grace you've been saved through faith, not of yourself. It's a gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. They replied, Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved, you and your household. It's salvation is in Christ alone. 
Through faith alone, by grace alone, there's your line. You're like, well, wait a second, where's election there? It's not in there. But where's, where's, where's premillennial and postmillennial and amillennial? Where do you fall on that? Because if I don't agree with you, I'm going to get my pizza somewhere else. It's not in there. It's not that it's not important. Did you hear me earlier? It's not that it's not important. It's just not important enough. So here's your principles today. Number one, establish sound doctrine. And I gave you facts. Everybody say facts. And those are the ones that are, we, that's the ones. I will stand there. We'll stand on those. So number two is you've got to distinguish between landing theology and launching theology. Landing theology means two sides simply disagree on interpretation of a few disputed texts. Example, pre or post or amillennialist. I don't know where you fall on that. I don't know if you even know it was such a thing. But there is such a thing and people have been arguing about it forever. I have an opinion on it. It's where I've landed. Everybody say landed. You see, I've read scripture about it, put them all together and thought about the character and nature of God and I've landed on a position there. It's a landing theology. But other people have read the same scriptures and had the same thoughts and landed someplace else. That's why it's a landing theology. What I'm teaching you today is on those things, don't divide. Simply say, you don't agree with me? I think my pizza's better, but love you. Stan, I love you. We're okay. We landed someplace different, but we're okay. See, can you do that, believer? That's what you're called to do. The difference is a launching theology. See, a launching theology is when you get this wrong, everything else gets mixed up, like Scripture. See, there's a launching theology. If you don't believe this scripture is God's word, God breathe inerrant, then we've got a launching problem because everything then comes from that. I meet with so many people and we'll go to scripture and I'll say, here's why I believe that. And I'll start reading Paul and they're like, Paul, that misogynistic male chauvinistic pig. I don't believe in anything that Paul says. I'm like, so you don't half the New Testament you don't believe in. No, I don't believe in anything Paul wrote. So, but Paul agreed with Jesus on a couple. No, don't even talk about that. See, that's a launching theology. See, if you and I don't agree that Scripture is God's word, then we'd have nowhere to go because that's an important one. Landing, we can disagree all we want. We can. You got to do the third thing, distinguish between explicit teaching of Scripture and application. But people divide over the silliest things. They'll divide over application. No, don't, don't divide over how we apply the Scriptures. Let me give you an explanation. The Bible says that parents, this is the teaching, explicit teaching, Parents, train up your child in the way of the Lord. Do we agree with that? Amen? That's a scriptural teaching. That is, we're all supposed, parents, train up your child in the way of the Lord. But then there's application of that. How do you apply that? Jeff, I don't know. You're a teacher at a public school. So should I send my kids to a public school? Or should I send them to a Christian school? Or should I homeschool them? And you know what? Christians have been dividing over that issue. Mad and angry. Guys, that's a landing issue. That is an application of the teaching. We should all agree on the teaching. Parents, train up your child in the way of the Lord. And that how you apply that might be different. You see, I've got friends that are overseas, and they homeschool their children as missionaries because that's the only option they have. Good for them. My three kids, born in a Christian home, went to a public school. Choice. We made that choice specifically to be on a mission. 
My kids went into that public school and they were a, a light because we complain all the time. We took God out of the public schools. Why do we keep saying that out loud? I've sent my three kids in there to war to be a bright and salty. That was my choice. And then we got others that send them to a Christian school and we'll divide over that issue. I've heard preachers on stages say, no Christian parent should send any Christian student into a public school. Be careful that you turn an application into an explicit teaching because the Bible doesn't say it. The Bible doesn't say it. You can land differently if some of you are not. Some of you are starting to get, I can see it. Some of you are like, I don't like his pizza. Are you okay? Are you okay today? If you don't agree with me, that's good. You're starting to get my point. If you disagree with me, would you give me grace then? I need it. And if you disagree with me, I'm going to give you grace because you need it. That's what I'm teaching today. You're going to walk out of here thinking, I don't know what to do because I feel like I want to be mad, but I want to love him too. I Be conflicted because God, in his great wisdom, has taught us this in Scripture. Agree to disagree. Let's keep going. Avoid foolish controversies. The Bible just says, don't argue about dumb stuff. And there's plenty of those out there too. Some doctrinal disputes are worth dying for, while others are just dumb. Can I say that? I didn't use the S word. Dumb. They're just dumb. And I've heard these. By the way, you go to seminary to learn all these dumb ones. We used to gather around in our dorm rooms at night and have these conversations about deep spiritual issues. Turn the lights down low, and it's just kind of like a Christian version of stoners getting together. And we'd debate things. The big one I remember in my junior year was, can God create a rock? so big and so heavy that he can't even lift it. And the freshmen would go, of course he can. Our God can create anything. Our God can create that rock. Oh, yeah? Well, if he created, then he can't lift it. He's a weak God. He can't do something. <gasps> of course he can lift it. So he can't create the rock heavy. This is what we learn in seminary. Can I just tell you? <laughs> That's dumb. Dumb. Don't fight over dumb stuff. Let those things go. That's an anthropomorphic ideology. Anthropomorphic ideology simply means that our God is spirit. He has no hands and feet. He ain't lifting no rock that way. He's our baby Yoda. He's probably lifting it with his mind. I don't know. But it's an anthropomorphic ideology, and it's just silly to talk about, and it's dumb. So let the dumb things go. Just let them go. Avoid, the Bible said, the Bible actually had to tell us, don't be dumb. Lastly, Allow areas for disagreement due to conversion baggage. You know what conversion baggage is? That's when a new baby believer gets saved. And maybe they're saved out of something. And then that something becomes a huge, like that was who I used to be. I came out of the cards. I was playing cards and gambling every weekend. And then I did that every weekend. And then they come to a retreat and they see the Christians getting out the card to play euchre. And they're like, ah! You can't play cards. God saved me from the cards. And you know what you do? You know what you do on that? Don't divide. Just put the cards away and play later when they're not there. That's, that's called love. That's called grace. And there's a lot of conversion baggage issues. Be convinced in your own mind about certain days and foods. This is the principle, Romans 14, 5. One person considers one day more sacred than another. Another considers every day alike. Each of them should be fully convinced in their own mind. What is, what is Paul saying in his logic? If you believe it, live it, and let go of it. <laughs> if, it's, if cards are the huge issue because God saved you from that and you don't want to play cards anymore, then don't play cards. 
Be convinced in your own mind. But don't convince the other mind over there who just wasn't saved out of it. And their youth pastor took a lot of time to teach them how to play euchre. Because in Michigan, you got to know how to play euchre. So don't go to war over foolish things like that, but give grace. I don't know if you're ready to handle it, but there's a lot of these issues and they're just not worthy of dividing over alcohol. For somebody who was saved out of that, somebody who came out of that and they can't even imagine, why would Christians get involved in that grace? Just by grace. Don't flaunt your liberties. Like Romans says, be convinced in your own mind. We have people here at Oakwood that do imbibe. God bless them. They need to do everything to the glory of the Lord. So if you imbibe, do it to the glory of the Lord. But don't flaunt your liberties to those who choose not to. And are convinced of their mind that they cannot. See, these are okay. These are where we agree to disagree. Amen? Not all of you agreeing with me on that. Did you draw the line someplace else than your pastor did? Then I need some grace. Can you give me some? Because I'll give you grace too. That's the rule. Don't flaunt your liberties. We can never do that. The Bible says protect the weak in the faith. And the weak in the faith usually are the ones that have a lot of issues. And so I've been told so many things in my life. Remember when my hair was parted down the middle in the 80s and I had a beautiful feather job going both ways. And I remember a man coming up and saying, you're a stumbling block to me. I see your hair and it's a stumbling block to me. He's fully bald. He had no hair. How could I make him stumble? But I, I just had to say, it's okay. Walk away. Don't argue. You know, here I am now. I'm losing my hair. Stan, you're a stumbling block to me at your age because your hair is beautiful. Oh, Stan. It's done. We might not all agree. Today, so many people say, I wish the pastor would teach the hard truths. If you don't listen, you won't realize that your pastor just did the hard thing today. I taught you truth. And I'm not afraid to do it. I do it regularly. If you would simply do what you're simply taught, we would be deep. These are hard things. May God teach us to love one another. 